and welcome to the Interplast Insights podcast. My name's Dave Gray and I'm Head of Content at British Plastics and Rubber and Interplast Insights. In this episode, I'm speaking to uh, some of the stakeholders in Plastic Free Mersey, which is an initiative which brings together science, funding and education to help address the issue of plastic pollution in the River Mersey. Crucially, it involves some of the major players in the plastics industry um, in a really collaborative partnership. So for this episode, I spoke to some key stakeholders in the project, Chris Kood, who is Deputy Chief Executive at Thames 21, Jason Ledbitter, who is Sustainability and Corporate Social Responsibility Manager at Innovin, Jim Seward, Senior Vice President R&D Technology and Sustainability at Leandale Bazell. Um, he's also the Chairman of the Executive Committee of the World Plastics Council, and John Sanders, Strategic Planning Director at the Mersey Rivers Trust. So we talked about a wide uh, range of topics, really good conversation. In particular, we looked at the importance of collaborative work in between industry, government, NGOs and charities. Um, and I wanted to ask the industry guys about how you can go further than providing funding and advocating for, um, for a cause. How do you actually share the science and share the expertise that you bring from your perspective if you're working in an industry? Um, we talked about the Global Plastics Treaty, kind of got everybody's take on, on what that means and the implications of that. We talked about what we really mean when we talk about the circular economy. Uh, we talked about plastics, of course, and why they do have a sustainable role to play in society. And we talked about the importance of training citizen scientists to understand the real nature of problem plastics using scientifically sound data. Uh, so I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me everybody this morning uh, apologies to have some we've had some technical difficulties getting set up but hopefully we're we're there now so obviously everybody on the call is involved in one way or another with thames 21 and the plastic free mersey project so chris i'd like to come to you first how did the project start and uh, why and what are some of the objectives so yeah thanks so um so Plastic Free Mersey started in April 2021 after quite a long period of, of discussion uh, and conversation about the sort of project we could work on. And um, the, project, the, the project took some time to sort of put together because it's this exciting, very new collaboration between um, plastic sector businesses, NGOs, we've got academic support. Um, and its aim ultimately is to reduce or ideally eliminate plastic waste from the Mersey catchment. Um, Thames 21 are involved because we have uh, experience of running similar types of projects on the Thames and um, understanding the sort of methodology that can be used and the way you can train volunteers. Um, but what we um, what we really want to do is um, work on this collaboration to get local people out connecting with their catchment um, and train them to the point where they're actually able to gather. Uh, information about the sort of plastic waste that you're finding in the Thames and so not in, sorry in the Mersey not only are they removing it but they're also learning something about where to find it the sorts of material you can find and that will deepen our understanding of the of the sort of issue of plastic waste and it will give us data which will hopefully help us work together um, with our partners um, across the plastic supply chain to think about the, the best way we can come up with solutions to reduce and ultimately eliminate this problem. Um, so it's at its core, it's, it's a kind of a collaborative project that really wants to engage people practically in the problem of plastic waste 
and see what we can do to reduce the waste that we're finding in the Mersey. And the key to that is, a, is a having a, a local part on the ground, and, and that's also what we're working with uh, the Mersey Rivers Trust. So you mentioned uh, collaboration with industry there. Brings me on to Jim. Um, so you are Senior Vice President R&D Technology and Sustainability at Lyondale Bazell. Um, could you just tell us why Lyondale Bazell got involved with the project in the first place, and also how does it plan to contribute? Sure, David. Um, we're really echoing some of the things that uh, that Chris said. I mean, I think that this is this for us is a really exciting project because it's a really exciting chance to collaborate. Um, we believe that plastics are actually essential to to our economy and to sustainability going going forward. But clearly, we have we all have a very significant issue to address, which is that of plastic waste and the fact that the plastics economy is pretty linear today. Um, and we need to to change the paradigm of the way we think in order to address this this issue. And I think that collaboration is absolutely is absolutely critical to that. And when we talk about collaboration, as as Chris said, I mean that's industry, that's NGOs, charities, but that's also academia, that's government, and and and, and the public. I think as well. You know, I mean, I think that this issue is you quite often sort of think of it as being global, but it's also intensely local. And so, you know, the opportunity to, to collaborate with, you know, really strong partners locally and really strong partners that, that, that have expertise in these different areas is, is very exciting for us. Um, you know, in terms of contribution, I think all the different partners bring, you know, bring something. I think that that's the beauty of having a really strong collaboration. You know, for us, when we started the discussion to, you know, to kick this thing off, to found this, um, you know, we were excited and we recognised, for example, one of the things that we bring um, more easily, um, some of our partners, is funding. So, so that's important. But, but certainly, you know, we go beyond that because we think that we have expertise which we can bring together in areas such as material science, in how we think about circularity, um, you know, potentially links to, to sort of emerging technologies or to product design. So there's a number of areas where I think we also have, you know, have our, have our role to play in terms of how we think about that. You know, way, and I would say maybe a couple of other things why, you know, we're excited. One of those is that you know, we do a lot of work in terms of, of good housekeeping and looking after sort of plastic waste within our sites. But this is an opportunity to get outside of the site and to really understand how, you know, how, what, what levers are required and how does that, does that work. So in other words, the, the opportunity to learn was also very, very exciting for us. Um, in terms of being part of this uh, of this great collaboration. So one of the reasons why I uh, this this kind of came to my attention this project is uh, because it's it's on my doorstep. So um, we're based around the corner in in Chester. So obviously, um, as Chris mentioned, there's there's a imperative uh, kind of need to work with local organisations as well. Which brings me on to uh, John Sanders, um, your Strategic Planning Director at Mersey Rivers Trust. Um, just tell us a bit about your role with the project and, and your kind of input. Yeah, thanks, Dave. So Mersey Rivers Trust, as the name suggests, looks after all the different rivers that make up the River Mersey. And that covers whole of Greater Manchester, Merseyside and Cheshire. There's about 4,000 kilometres squared of catchment there. Um, and more importantly, about 5 million people uh, live within the River Mersey catchment. It is a very urban industrial catchment, and therefore there is a lot of uh, concerns raised by our local communities that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis around the levels of plastic pollution in our rivers. And so while the water quality of the Mersey has definitely improved significantly over the last 
30 years or so, the levels of plastic pollution, unfortunately, have been going up over that same time frame. Uh, so we do get a, a lot of our communities raising concerns about the level of plastic, and they want to get involved, and they want to, they want to do something about it. Uh, so we've often run litter picks along our rivers uh, to pick up plastic uh, and other pollutants that uh, we find along our rivers. Um, but we wanted to get involved with this project really to get a better feel and understanding about the quantity of plastic pollution in our rivers and what sorts of plastic uh, is in our rivers as well. So we can better understand how we can address the problem, who we need to work with. And we're very pleased to want to collaborate with the plastics industry, the waste industry, local authorities and others uh, to try and solve this problem. Uh, because plastic really has no place in the river environment. And that's really the, one of the key messages we want to get across uh, through this Plastic Free Mersey project. Uh, and our role at the moment particularly is uh, recruiting, uh, training and then supporting uh, local volunteers from the local communities who will help us go out and actually count the amount of plastic they find in their local river uh, and quantify uh, what different types of plastic they find at the same time. Um, and we're calling those people citizen scientists. So they're volunteers who go out and carry out citizen science methods um, to count plastic and understand what types of plastic uh, they're finding in those rivers. And so far, we've recruited about 25 local community volunteers. Uh, we want to increase that still further to around about 30 people uh, to spread ourselves across the different rivers that make up the River Mersey. Fantastic. Thanks, John. Um, you touched there on uh, some of the uh, learnings that you're hoping to kind of uncover as this project um, goes on. And, and one of the things in particular that I'm interested to talk more about later is um, the, what, what are the problem plastics? I know that's that's um, been a, a topic of discussion around the industry recently. So I'd like to come on to that. But first, Jason, uh, you are Sustainability and Corporate Social Responsibility Manager at Innovin, so another industry partner. Um, same question as, as I had for Jim, really. How did Innovin first get involved in the project and how does it intend to uh, contribute? Thanks, Dave. Well, <clears throat> First and foremost, we're a major PVC manufacturer, and uh, PVC is mainly used in building and construction, so less so in packaging applications. So whilst we have very little business in packaging, there's really a very strong commitment from Innovin in terms of the reputation for the plastics industry in general. So we feel that reputational issue is, is really, really important. Um, but I think perhaps most importantly for us, um, this is um, the River Mersey. And uh, for uh, our factory at Runcorn, it's a major producer of the upstream raw materials that's going into manufacturing PVC. Hence, we have a direct community interest with regard to this project uh, on our own home patch, you might say. And for that reason, we, we feel, you know, ever so strongly with regard to that in terms of having a responsibility towards this really quite unique project. And I think the, the other element to it is we've done a lot of work internally, as many polymer producers have done uh, through this thing called Operation Clean Sweep, uh, which is all about ensuring that we don't have leakage within our factories to the outside world, etc., What's so good about this project is looking beyond that factory fence. You know, what can we do beyond that factory fence in terms of making a difference? And to echo Jim's point in terms of contribution, well, first and foremost, you know, we this project's needed financial support. So 
like Lionel Bazel, we, we certainly have made a, a, a contribution with regard to the financial project to get it off the ground, importantly. Um, but coming back to uh, the point uh, with regard to John was saying about citizen science volunteers and the like, we will be supplying these from our own workforce, so our own employees getting involved in the project as well, which we, we believe is really important. And perhaps using the influence of Innovin as a kind of ambassador within the plastics industry, because there's also a lot of interest with our colleagues within the British Plastics Federation. And when we look at the River Mersey, we also have to bear in mind the upstream activities from the Manchester basin, etc., and actually using our influence there within our supply chain of our suppliers and indeed many of our customers who we also believe within a plastics industry will have a strong interest to, to contribute. And perhaps finally, just a point about what do we do with this plastic that we actually extract from, from these collection areas? How badly contaminated is it? What can we do from a recycling point of view? These are all of the things that I think are really important, Dave, in terms of uh, seeing how we actually look towards a circular economy going forward in the future. Brilliant. Thanks, Jason. Um, so I feel like we've got a good overview of um, kind of everybody's stake and everybody's position in this project. Um, so I want to move on now to some questions, which I will open up to the group. But I guess the first the first question is, is really um, one for the industry guys. Can you comment on the recent announcement that plans are going to be drawn up for this Global Plastics Treaty? So this was announced uh, last month, I think. Um, how do you think the uh, polymer and chemicals industries um, are reacting to the treaty? And also, we know now that this treaty won't just focus on how you recycle plastics. It will also focus on uh, plastic production. Um, do you think that's the right approach? I think, David, maybe I'll... I'll kick off if I, if, if I may. I'm actually, um, in addition to my role at Lionel Bozell, I'm chair of the World Plastics Council. So I've been quite involved actually in, in, in the process, um, you know, of, of creating, of, of kicking off, let me say, the discussion on, on, a, on a global plastics treaty. And, and I'd, I'd start by saying that I think that, you know, what has been fascinating to me is, is the, you know, all, pretty much all stakeholders, I think, are pretty aligned that a global treaty can be a very helpful and positive thing. So that, that's a, that, that, that is an important point because it means that the kind of North Star is there in terms of, of you know, of, of, of where we want to go. So industry also was, and you've probably seen statements to the to support of that, was, was welcoming the, uh, the kicking off of the negotiation process for a global plastics treaty. So, and I think, you know, part of that is the recognition that no one sector can do this alone, right? So collaboration is really, really important. And a global treaty can drive or create the conditions, I think, for action in a very collaborative way. So I think that's, you know, that's, uh, that's really important. And I think, you know, what we need to do, as I sort of mentioned earlier, is really to drive towards an economy, a plastics economy, which is much more circular in, na in, 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 in nature and also has as its core the idea of sort of sustainable sort of consumption and sustainable production. So in other words, we're all looking beyond the fence of our individual activity um, in order to be able to, you know, to, to have that transformation. I mean, hopefully, you know, to a place where 
you know, people don't see used plastic as waste. They they view used plastic as a you know a valuable resource or raw material for some other useful purpose. I mean, that's where we're trying to sort of get to, in terms of creating really a uh, you know a, 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 a kind of a um, you know a circular a circular economy. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that plastics is you know, is a pretty intensely local thing into when it comes to to to, to waste. Um, you know, the, the solution path in Manchester will be different to the solution path in Manila. It just will. They're just different situations across different parts of the world. Um, so I think that what we need is a is a treaty which is very enabling, but provides enough local flexibility that we can really target the solutions which fit well for that, you know, for that locality. So I think there's a really good opportunity in terms of being able to, um, you know, to, 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 to really provide that holistic, to provide that, that collaborative flame framework, I think. Um, and my last comment you mentioned in terms of, you know, in terms of production, I, I mean, I mean, what I'd say is that um, plastics, you know, play an incredibly valuable role in society. I think that, um, you know, whether that's around um, SDGs and, and whether that's around sort of, um, uh, sort of supporting our ambitions around, around climate or in terms of, um, keeping food fresher for longer there's a number of very important points where plastic plays an important role i don't believe that broad-based bans for example in production um will address the issue and i mean i mean a couple of comments maybe so 70 percent of plastics are not used in you know in packaging with the the, the sort of plastics that we uh, you know that we see but are more in you know construction transportation um, I mean, I mean to, to, to give you know, electric vehicles would not be possible without plastic. Solar panels are not possible without plastics. So I, I, I think we've got to recognise that this is a class of material that has a very broad base of application. However, <laughs> however, there's clearly a need to drive in two areas, right? I mean, I, I, I think you know the circularity of our products needs to be, you know, um, we have to start designing our products. So they become circular. And as you said earlier, um, around this concept, the sort of problem plastics, well, we do have a situation where historically we've designed for function and maybe for appearance. We've got to start thinking about designing for sustainability and designing for circularity. So the nature of the products that are used from plastic, we have to be much more um, and we have to be much more uh, thinking in terms of the way that we the way that we design those, um, and we also have to you know, transform you know our collection and recycling systems. We just do um, because at the moment they're not circular. So that would be one point. And then secondly, you know we have the, the famous kind of waste hierarchy, right? I mean, reduce, 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 reuse, recycle. And as a society, that's really, really important for plastics because, you know, particularly in areas where you have plastics which are going to be more challenging to recycle because at the moment they have a lower value. We've got to change that. We've got, as I said earlier, we've got to change how we can create value for that waste. But we also have to, in hand in hand, I think, one is that transformation of the plastics economy. But a second is also that we all, whether that's industry all the way down to consumers, we're thinking about that waste hierarchy and we need also to to be able to you know to live that i would say as well and perhaps just to build on that dave uh, i think the whole plastics littering in society thing is a real wake-up call for the industry and uh, we've been so used to this linear flow of materials of mine use dispose 
and and this whole element now of looking at really seriously what do we mean by the circular economy and actually looking towards you know those waste products as the resources for us for the future um, is really really important and uh, I think you know the only concern I see with regard to something like a cap is that actually plastics offer a huge value to society at the same time. Uh, you know, when we look at climate change, for example, uh, yes, there's climate change associated with making plastics, but, you know, when we then compare life cycle assessments to alternative materials, and particularly some of the more traditional materials, back to Jim's point about, you know, building construction and other applications, these also is where, you know, plastics have got a real role to play. Um, but at the same time, this is a wake-up call for us, and we do need to really address this full-on, this circular economy. Just to jump in, uh, the, one of the advantages from an NGO's point of view of, of a, a global treaty is that, um, as, as Jim says, it's an intensely local problem, um, and it can be difficult to motivate people when they see a problem that they feel is, is insurmountable or there is, there is no way of solving. But actually, if you can see your local action being part of this, um, but a larger picture locally, uh, a national picture involving, you know, industry who are engaging fully with the problem, with local authorities and government, and then you also see that there's there's a global strategy as well. Your your part becomes much more obvious. The part you play is is much more powerful. So you know, it gives some weight to that um, think global at local statement that, that you can see the benefit and you can see the connection between going down to the Mersey, gathering information, removing rubbish and a, a global solution to trying to reduce the overall amount so you don't have to do it forever. So, you know, it, it's quite a powerful message for, for consumers. And also then that, then that connects into some of the other things that have been said about, okay, consumers' role beyond just clearing the waste, but also how they purchase, what they purchase, how they dispose, how they recycle, um, and start influencing consume, uh, start influencing industry by their purchasing power. You know, are you going to be more likely to, to buy a product that's been better designed to be recycled? Well, that's, mm -hmm. if you're informed, you're more likely to purchase, and then that, that, drives, that, that drives that change in, you know, within our, our consumer behaviour. What Chris just said is was, was really resonating with me. But one thing I, I did mean to say was that, you know, if, if I talk about what my aspiration of a global treaty is, all of those things, Chris said, plus, plus, we've got to solve the funding issue. Because um, if you look around the world, there are issues around, you know, basic access to collection and recycling, mm -hmm. which in many countries at the moment, those conditions are just not there, right? So yeah. we, as a, as a, you know, as a kind of global system here, we have to think about also how we solve that. So um, I really hope that that issue is also front and centre as part of, of these global treaty discussions. I believe it will be, because w without that issue in the room, right, um, it, it, it may be fine in Europe, but in some other geographies, it's going to be much harder. You know, so, so my experience is that there is a potentially very significant amount of capital Mm. Um, you know, globally that could be brought to bear with this. But I think there are two things that at the moment we have to unlock. One is we've got to prove, just to Chris's point, we've got to prove that this is possible and that there are models that work, right? Because no one's going to in invest in something 
that you know either they think is just throwing money down the drain or they think is not going to work so the first part and that's all of us definitely including industry has to prove solution paths that you know that can work i think that's very important there's an organization that that, that we're part of called the alliance to plastic alliance to End plastic waste which is that's the, that's their mission it's just to go to these different countries and try and prove that you know that that model works so i think that that that, that, that is important you know and secondly i think that um, that this may be a combination of of kind of granting, which is you know big organisations or governments, but also backed up with private finance, and that can come from different places in in, in the economy. So, so I think governments have a very important role to play, but I want to stress this is not it cannot be only government money, particularly in some of these more challenging geographies. I I want to uh, come on now to the Thames Twenty One. Uh, project um, and other similar projects. What lessons have been learned from uh, doing this kind of work um, across across these various partnerships? Um, so our core uh, project on the tidal Thames, Thames Riverwatch, has been you know, has been working on this, working with with um, volunteers in a similar way for a number of years now, um, and you know we've we've learned an awful lot. So you know. That it's so people can go out and they can gather information. Um, is that robust scientifically? Well, with the right support, with the right training, with the right academic oversight, um, with the right approaches, yes, you can you can generate information across a very wide area. Um, uh, you can create very large data sets. You can really examine, um, you know, changes over time, trends over time, because people will be people also know their sites really well, some excellent local knowledge of all of that can feed in. So in a way that uh, uh, a sort of one-off survey can't, can't, will give you a snapshot, citizen scientists can give you a much sort of deeper, richer picture over time if, if supported properly. And I suppose one of the, the key learnings for us is to provide that support, you know, is to provide really good um, structured support and training so that, that people can, so it's really easy for people to get out and make a difference. Um, so, you know, both both organisations like us and, and Mesurius Trust, exactly what we're trying to We're trying to facilitate the ease with which people are able to make a difference. And also the, the other thing I think that's important for us is that if we want, if we want people to be able to make a change um, and a difference in their own lives and we want them to be able to um, join the debate in an informed way, then it's really vital that they love these sites and spending time connecting with what's on your doorstep. You know, it's not solely about look at the problem. Um, it's also look at this great space that's on our doorstep. You know, the, look at all the, the services, the value we get out of having a clean river on our doorstep with great open spaces where we can spend time. And, you know, post-lockdown, we all spent more time outside in our local area. We all spent more time, you know, recovering, um, you know, relieving stress in these spaces. Well, you know, let's also consider um, how we can create ambassadors for clean, natural, open spaces, which are valuable to everyone. So it's it's not just that we want to remove plastic um, solely because of the problem, but we also want to celebrate these spaces. And getting people actively involved in solving the problem is an incredibly powerful way of doing that. So it's certainly, you know, we want to ensure that the information that volunteers are gathering is useful it, it, because the volunteers themselves want to contribute to a meaningful activity and that data needs to be used if it is a useful methodology if it is creating useful data then 
why why are we not gathering information much more widely? So it's certainly something that the learning from this project is something we can roll out uh, across the Rivers Trust movement, and the Rivers Trust movement as a whole is certainly interested in the state of plastic pollution in, in rivers across the UK, and and absolutely why not beyond? This is this is an issue that can be, you know, is global and can certainly be people can be involved across the globe in, in getting involved in tackling. Yeah, and certainly volunteers that we're working with um, very much have been uh, engaged in the project so far, but I think they've, they've learned a lot as well already uh, in a very short space of time. So their concept, misconceptions potentially have been addressed in some cases about what sorts of plastic might be in our rivers, um, where it comes from, asking those sorts of questions. And as Chris said, being ambassadors now and actually talking to the people in their local communities, organising little picks elsewhere, um, talking to uh, waste recyclers and, and the like, talking to their local councillors. So we're starting to engage the community as a whole, not just a few individuals. I think the only uh, other point I would make on this, Dave, is uh, with regard to waste that's heavily contaminated and the like is what do we actually do with it? And uh, if it's less contaminated, then clearly there's there's a packaging infrastructure that you know lo local authorities already have in place with the you know the MRFs etc. Where plastic bottles, for example, can be washed, cleaned, and you know hopefully then recycled. Um, the new kid on the block really is this new technology, emerging technology called chemical recycling or feedstock recycling. And this has the potential to deal with uh, what you would call more difficult recycle plastics, waste and the like. And uh, there's a number of companies that are starting um, and, and doing a lot of work in this area. And, and for me, this is a very exciting uh, development um, because it has the ability of breaking the plastics back into the molecules that they started from and rebuilding them back up from that processes such as pyrolysis and the like. Um, so there's a lot of ongoing R&D work in there. There's there's pilots and, you know, other companies are actually different stages with regard to this evolution. But we do feel that um, a huge amount of effort is going into this area. And it's one that particularly interests me because uh, there's always going to be contamination of some form or another. And this, for me, is, is perhaps... Um, the answer towards uh, more difficult to recycle uh, products. You know, historically, they've been incinerated with energy recovery, but actually converting them back to molecules that can be reused to make new plastics from is, is very, very exciting. Well, that concludes my chat with some of the key stakeholders at Plastic Free Mersey. Hope you enjoyed the interview. If you're interested to learn more about Plastic Free Mersey, you can read the article that we published in the March edition of British Plastics and Rubber. All the past editions are available at interplasticinsights.com. We also have it available as an HTML article if you prefer to read it that way. Again, at interplasticinsights.com, just search Plastic Free Mersey and you should find the article. But that's it for now. Until next time, have a good one.